So glad to have every one of you with us this morning. We had an amazing Easter Sunday, last Sunday. Had the place packed in both services, over 40 fresh starts, people coming to Jesus, some for the very first time, some recommitting their lives. Um, I'm excited about this series. This is, I believe, an intensely practical series to help uh, believers make good decisions. My 24-year-old son used to leave the house when he was 16, 17, 18 years old. And regularly, I would holler at him. I'd be in the back of the room or back of the house or something. I'd know he's leaving. I would say, Drew, yeah, Dad, MGD. And he would say, Miller Genuine Draft. And I would go, make godly decisions. Um, how many of you know there's a, there's a pretty good range of choices there? Uh, that we all have to make. We have to make good decisions. And I think too much of the time we, um, in our me-centeredness, that we're born in in sin, and it's reinforced in our culture and our individualistic society that is very much about self-actualization and me being happy, me, my, and mine, Uh, that we have a tendency to sort of make our plans and go to God and say, God, would you bless them many times after the fact? And as believers, and we have a lot of new ones here at Victory, a lot of folks have come to Christ in the last couple of years and just seeing real growth. And it's, it's not just about creating an environment where people can come to Jesus. We know that's critical. And, And I think that we're beginning to learn how to do that and do a pretty good job at it. But it's not just about getting people in and getting them to meet Jesus, but it's about teaching them how to grow in their walk with Jesus as well. Evangelism is critical, but discipleship is just as important. And so this series is, is really more disciple-making than it is evangelistic. But I encourage you to invite your friends and family and those that you know that may be at a critical juncture in their life, um, having to make some important decisions, maybe about a mate or maybe about a career choice or... Anything that you know has the ability to set your life onto a particular path. And many times that path, then once you're sort of on the horse in the middle of the stream, it's difficult to change horses, as the old guys used to say, don't change horse in midstream. And you can do it, but it's pretty hard. Not good for the horse, and you may may nearly drown in the process, but it can happen. And so what we want to do with this series is hopefully take you to the Word and show you some tools Um, that will help you to make decisions that will automatically have the favor of God on them because they're based on the will of God for your life. All right? Now, uh, I am a preacher, but there are times when I deliberately gear down and do the very best that I can to just be conversational and talk with you about some things that I think are intensely practical. This whole series is going to be eight weeks. We're calling it Seven Guiding Lights. And this morning, we're not actually going to tackle the first one. We're going to do a flyover. We're going to do a big, broad overview. And I'm going to ask if you would to stand with your, to, uh, to your feet with me one more time. We're going to read a couple of passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We will get every Sunday. So in eight weeks, you ought to be able to quote this one without looking at a screen. This will become part of your memorized Scriptures. This will become part of your toolbox, your arsenal. Because we'll do this one verse every Sunday and then we'll have a a message text that will be devoted to the specific topic that we'll be dealing with that day. So this morning we humble our hearts before the Lord and we read his word together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's Romans chapter 12 verses, or verse 2. Now, if you would put up the purpose for me, please. I'm not going to ask you to read this, but I want you to understand my intention. Why we're doing eight weeks on these guidance tools, okay? My purpose is to equip you. One of our values here at Victory is to equip believers to lead in every area of life. And so we're following that value. Uh, we engage everyone with the good news of the gospel. But then once they become believers, we move from just engaging you with a life-giving message of Jesus. And it's about equipping you to lead. Because we believe God's called you to be leaders in the community. To equip believers with the necessary tools to discern the will of God and to make godly decisions. Everybody say MGD. MGD. To make godly decisions that will automatically have his favor. Now, here's our text for today. The message text is from the book of Psalms, chapter 31, and we have five verses. Here we go together. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. Stop right there. Let's get this one. I want to say it two more times. For your namesake, you lead me and guide me. Do it again. For your namesake, you lead me and guide me. Let's move on. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are, a re are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Lord, we just humble ourselves this morning as we bow our hearts before you. We ask you in the name of Jesus that you, Holy Spirit, would come and teach, do what no man can do. I just confess before you and these people that I can do nothing apart from you. Holy Spirit, you can do everything. You can move and take the words of this message that are spoken in general, but you can take a coal off of the hot altar a hot coal off of the altar of the Lord, and you can drop an individual specific word into each and every person in this room this morning that they will know that the Spirit of God has spoken to them personally. No man can do that, God. You can. I ask you to do that today. Let my lips speak the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit that breaks bondages and yokes, Lord, and destroys religious tradition. But God frees us to be the sons of God that you've called us to be. We ask you for this in the strong name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. My reasoning for doing this series is because we all have to make decisions. We all set ourselves on paths that begin to take us toward one destination or another. The path that we're on is critical. We can set a goal or have a vision for our lives to become something in 10 years. We all want to have good marriages. We want to raise champions for children. We want, we want them to be strong. We all have a dream that when we have children that they will be more successful in their generation than we have been in ours. And that's to some extent part of the American dream. And if you're really honest, that's part of the biblical dream. God desires that the next generation be more righteous than the one that birthed them. Uh, too many times it's like the book of Jeremiah. They go from evil to evil, though. And so I, I have a dream for my kids. And because of that, I've tried my best to steer them into a path 
Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths, one translation says. Another one says, he will make your paths straight. I can say I want to go to Atlanta, but if I get on Interstate 55 going north, I'm probably going to end up in St. Louis and not in Atlanta. And so my path literally determines my destination. My path is a composite of the decisions that I'm making. It's critical that I recognize that every decision that I make on a daily basis, whether it's a, a decision of integrity, a decision of morality, a decision of principle, that I must be very careful to use wisdom and make good decisions. MGD, make godly decisions. Now, I realize that because uh, when I start out as a teenager, I don't have a lot of experience. I desperately need to listen to those that are older than I am because they can teach me from the mistakes they've made. One very, very successful banker was asked by a young up-and-coming uh, apprentice under him, how did you get to be so successful? He said, well, I got promoted and I made some good decisions. He said, well, you, and he said, I had, I had some good experience. He said, well, how did you get good experience? He said, by making good decisions. He said, well, how did you learn how to make good decisions? He said, by making some bad ones. And we've all done that. We all have to realize that, that God has equipped this universe with this thing called trial and error. And when you make a mistake, it really is a kingdom principle. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That is a godly goal. It is a, a goal that gives us the idea of persevering. We do not quit. We endure. Okay? Whether it's a business that you're trying to get off the ground, a marriage that you want to see established, and it takes more than just Google-eyed love to make a marriage work. Now, if you're young, you don't even have any idea what I'm talking about. But if you've lived in one longer than 10 years, you know that you've worked at it. And everybody said, amen. amen. Now, I preach. I'm a preacher. But this is not going to be a, uh-huh. yes, I. this is not going to be that kind of a series. This is going to be more conversational. Now, I, you know me. I'll probably get excited at some point and be rolling off the edge of the platform there or whatever. <laughs> But I want to talk to you because I think one of the most important things that you can learn how to do is not just the first most important decision you ever make is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. The second most critical decision you'll ever make is the mate you choose. Because you can love Jesus and you choose the wrong mate and brother, it's purgatorial for you. It's hellaciousness. It can be pretty hard, be pretty rough. My mother used to say, son, if you make your bed hard, you'll have to sleep in it. And I didn't understand what in the world that meant. And I'm thankful that I've got a good relationship, a wonderful wife, an amazing woman of God who actually, honest to God, loves me. That's the mystery of the ages right there. I don't know why. So I'm thankful for that. In the middle of all these decisions, how many of you know we have to have some guidance sometimes? Uh, Several of you, I'm sure, have vehicles that have a GPS system in it. It, it has a GPS tracking system. You, you get into it and you plug in a street and an address and a city and a zip code, and it will actually tell you to exit this parking lot and turn right, go onto the on-ramp of I-40, take you across the bridge and over 40 into Nashville and then go up 65 into Kentucky and wherever you're headed, that GPS system will tell you turn right, turn left in 1.2 miles. If you miss it, then there will be an alarm and it will say recalculating. Yes. 
How many of you know that sometimes we have those same kinds of circumstances in our lives because we've missed an opportunity? We've, we've made uh, an incorrect move. We've, 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 we've blown it and made the wrong decision. And God has a way by his spirit and by the forgiving power of his blood to redeem that and teach us a good lesson and we learn from it. And it's not all about punishment. God is not after you. He's not over looking over the balcony of heaven waiting for you to miss it so he can slap you or whack you a good one. He's a loving God who's not angry with you, who wants to teach you, and he wants to pour out his blessing and his love upon your life. You can say amen anytime. I'm already preaching pretty good. Our God guides us. Everybody say that. Our God guides us. He's promised that. Psalm 31 verses 1 through 5. About verse 4 it says, For your name's sake you will lead and guide me. So that's the promise this morning for which we stand. Old Testament saints had an external guidance system. God delivered them from Egypt by the blood, the water, and the spirit. They came out. The blood was applied to the doorpost of their heart. The angel of the Lord passed over them that had, that had been marked by the blood. Firstborn of every family, every living thing, every animal, the livestock, the firstborn of Egypt. There were whales in Egypt that night, the night of the Passover, 4,000 years ago uh, when Moses the covenantal head led, led them out because the blood of a lamb had been slain one for each house so they leave Egypt and as soon as they leave Egypt they see that there is a pillar of fire and there is a pillar of cloud by day and they're crossing 40 years in the wilderness because a couple of guys who go out one from every tribe 12 spies come back after 40 days and they decide that the giants are too big and the land is too large and the Lord basically says because you didn't have faith to do what I told you to do first of all God didn't send them over there to to do just a to run a, a feasibility study he, ran, he told them, go over there and check out the land because I'm going to give you that land and you're going to take every giant, you're going to bring down every walled city and it's a good land flowing with milk and honey and there are copper in the hills that you're going to mine out of there and I'm going to establish you and the kingdom of Israel will be established which is an Old Testament type of the spiritual kingdom of God that we're in now. So they're moving around in Egypt with a, I'm sorry, in the, in the promised land in Israel with a with an external guidance system headed to Israel. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. It's the very first HVA system in history. Heating, venting, air conditioning. The, the desert, the wilderness by day would reach 90, 95, 100 degree heat. By night, because there was so much sand in a wilderness area, by heat radiation, many times it would drop below freezing. So they're burning up in the daytime, they're freezing at night, and God gives them the first HVA system, literally where they're protected from the heat by day and by night they're warmed. And it's not just about gleaning immediate benefits of protection and warmth and cool and all of that, but it's a guidance system. They set up and erect the tabernacle of Moses. They establish the sacrificial system. They're worshiping God. The, holy, the high priest is going in. Wherever they see the cloud of God move and stop, they erect the temple. They may stay there for a week. They may stay there for a year. It may just be a couple of days, and then boom, the cloud's moving again. There's a whole bunch of priests that are watching the cloud. They're seeking the Lord. They're watching the spirit where God is leading them. When the cloud starts to move, here comes the priest. They put the silver trumpets to their mouth. Do, 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 do. 
It's a particular sound. It's a, it's a call. It's a, it's a signal that all of Israel knows. There's a sound that they know. Numbers says there's a call to war, but there's a call to move the camp. And when the cloud moved, they had to move the camp. Look at your neighbor and say, move with the cloud. The whole point is, is that we have to learn to be led by the Spirit of God. Where is the cloud of his presence? Is the cloud of God's presence on my business? Is it on my marriage? Is it on my individual life and my walk with God? Am I making good decisions and learning to follow the leadership of the cloud? Israel had an external guidance system. But when we come to the New Testament, the cloud and the fire have now moved on the inside. And New Testament saints have an internal GPS. It's called the still small voice of the Spirit of God. Where you... Learn to be led. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Greek word weos means mature, full-grown sons. When we learn how to follow the leading of the Spirit, we learn to not just go through some motions, but we're sensing the voice of the Lord. We're learning to follow Him. Where He leads me, I will follow. What He feeds me, I will swallow. That's learning to follow the authoritative hand of the Lord in his life and in our lives as he is revealed to us. Now, we have two extremes in this whole approach of guidance. And too many times we have folks that like to operate in one or the other. And, and there is a pendulum of experience. It's like the pendulum that swings in the grandfather clock, one side to the other. And too many times there are folks that are camping in one side and ignoring the other. And I want you to see that there are extremes on either end. And on one side is the extreme of human rationale. It's basically the idea that, well, God gave me a mind to think. I'm going to look at this set of circumstances and I'm going to figure this out on my own. And you know what? That's a good gift to recognize. God wants you to learn to think for the glory of God. He has given you knowledge. We learn by experience what's not good to do. Uh, you know, what was that old Mark Twain quote that said, when a cat sits on a hot stove, it never will sit on a hot stove again? Because it thinks that every stove then from that point never sit on a stove again. It thinks every stove is hot from that point because it's learned from the experience. Well, too many times there are things that God will do that won't necessarily line up with reasoning. Because sometimes God will ask you to do things, challenge you to step out into an area that requires dependency upon him or faith without actually having every one of the steps lined out for you. Okay? Now, too many times folks swing from thinking it through, human rationale, I'm going to figure this out, and they go all the way to the other side of the extreme and it gets over here where it's in an area called mysticism where they're looking for a sign in every kind of strange activity, anything that happens. It's almost like the boogeyman around every corner. There's a ghost. I heard a voice. Oh, I looked at the clock, and it was, it was 1.17, and somebody called me at that point, and they said this word to me, and you start coming up with these crazy things, thinking that all of these things are signs for you, God trying to tell you how to do something. And people that are hyper-mystical need to get reconnected to their brain. And folks that are only moving in the ability to think through need to recognize that sometimes God will speak to you to do things that defy your human reasoning. Don't even look at me in that tone of voice because when Jesus came walking on the water, 
speaking to the storm, to the winds and the waves. And he looks at the disciples and he says, Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me come unto you. And Jesus said, it's me, come on. And all the other disciples are going, get your butt back in this boat, Pete. (laughs) And so Peter defying everything that has to do with human rationale is about to step out in faith onto the water and it's a word from God that he has that carries him on the water until he gets distracted and starts looking at some things that have nothing to do with the fact that he's walking on the water in the first place. How many of you know you can't walk on the water on a day when there's no wind and waves any easier than you can if there's a storm blowing? Just run a bathtub full and try it. Are you with me? Peter started looking at things that had nothing to do with the word that he heard. And because he took his eye off Jesus and began to move back to human rationale, he lost his place and Jesus reached down to grab him and he cried out, Lord, save me. There are times God wants you to think through. There are times God wants you to take a step of faith in spite of what you have thought through. Because you know down in your knower You know that you know that you know that nobody else can tell you differently because you know in in your knower that you know that you know. Now, don't ask me to say that again. But you just know it, okay? So there are two extremes many times that we operate in in terms of hearing God's voice. There are many voices, multitudes of voices. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification, None of them are insignificant. There are multitudes of signals that are going through this room right now. Literally, I I, I don't think it would be incorrect to say literally in the hundreds of thousands of different signals. Victory has a Wi-Fi. If you know the password and you know uh, how to connect to it, then you can connect into the signal that's being sent in this room. With Victory's Wi-Fi. There are multitudes of them and businesses right around us in this peripheral area here sending out their Wi-Fi signals. There are AM and FM radio signals that are traveling through this room. There are cell signals that are traveling through this room. Shortwave, XM radio signals. Multitudes of different kinds of signals are traveling in this room. Whether or not you pick up one and understand it has everything to do with whether you have the piece of equipment whether it's receiving the signal and whether it's turned on and tuned in. Look at your neighbor and tell them, turn on and tune in. Now, when you came to Christ and you were born again, the Bible says, except you have been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. Verse 7 of John says, except you're born of the water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay? So, When I come to Christ, I believe that every person already has the receiver. You've got the the radio deck on the inside of you. You have the shortwave receiver. You have the cell phone. You've got a tower that will receive right in here. But the problem is, is that when you're lost in sin, that thing's never been activated. Uh, Job 32.8 says, There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. Greek word inspiration literally means <sighs> he breathes life into all the deadness. And God breathes into you when you're born again, and he makes your dead spirit come alive. And guess what? When he makes you come alive, he tunes in your radio signal and calibrates it and tunes you into the frequency of heaven. 
How many of you have been driving down the road and you've had your radio on and it wasn't just quite right tuned into the station? I hear Memphis calling me home. My radio's picking up FM 100. I'm dating myself. That was 20 years ago, a jingle on FM 100. Some of you are going, I never heard that before. That's because it's classic. <laughs> the whole point is you're hearing a little bit of a signal, but it's got a bunch of static with it. And sometimes you have to put your hand on the tuner and you have to move it from 99.5 to 99.7 and get it to where it's exactly on the frequency so you get a clear signal. Because there are multitudes of distractions that are coming against you. The voice of the Lord is being sounded, but there are multitudes of other voices and none of them are insignificant. And they're all trying to get your attention. The voice of the enemy is trying to tempt and, and to, to deceive and to accuse. And many times you have voices of friends who care about you, but sometimes don't have the sense God gave a goose. And they're trying to get you to go down a path with them. Don't shout me down. I know I'm doing some real good preaching right now. And so we have to, we have to make some decisions about to whom we're going to listen Next in line is we desperately need discernment. We've got to turn on and tune in. One more time, look at the other person beside you and say, turn on and tune in. We need discernment. John chapter 12, the Bible tells us that Jesus is just before the time where he's about to go to the cross. It's... He's just about to get an upper room with his disciples. He's going to wash their feet. He's going to pour out some secrets concerning the Holy Spirit and the coming kingdom of God. He's going to talk to them about going to the cross. He's going to spend some very intimate time the last few hours with his disciples, which is John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. He's into the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is at 12, the closing of 12. And he's got a crowd around him and he basically says, my soul is troubled because I know where I'm headed. And he says, what should I say? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? And he says, no, it's for this very reason that I was born and I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And the Bible says God spoke right there in John 12, 28, 29. The Father spoke, but those that were around Jesus, some of them thought it thundered. Now, how many of you know you need to be turned on and tuned in? There were some who thought it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. But Jesus knew himself, having really been finely tuned. He'd set the squelch right on his CB radio. He'd got tuned into the right station on XM. He was lined up with Wi-Fi. However you want to just characterize this analogy this morning. He was tuned in with a clear signal, no distractions, no static in the line. He knew that the Father spoke to him and the words clearly said, I have glorified my name. Others thought it thundered. You know, too many times you're in a hard place and you're having to make some decisions and people see a, what looks like a low pressure front around your life. It's just a lot of activity and wind and looks like a storm, but... They don't have the discernment you do. You're, st you're standing in the eye of the storm in the middle of the peace, hearing tuned into the voice of the Lord, knowing that God has given you a word that he's going to carry you through this thing that you're going through. A problem in your marriage, a crisis in your business, in the economy that we're all facing. Trusting God to meet the deadline. Praying for God to carry you through for this thing that's got to be answered. A child that's 
You've heard the word. It's not a good health report, and it's going to take a miracle from God. And you've got a word that's carrying you in the middle of all the storm. Everybody else hears the thunder. Some might think, hey, maybe he's getting an angelic visitation, but you have to be the one that's tuned into the voice of the Father, making the right decision about the mate you're going to marry, stepping out into a different career choice, picking your family up to do a transition five states away into another place. Sometimes those are good decisions. Sometimes they're not. Now, why do we take time to talk like this today? Because we need discernment. We need the ability to judge between, to make a good decision, M-G-D, make godly decisions. Because too many times in our own selfishness, we make our plans and then we get into them on the other side after the decision we get on our face and beg God to bless them. How many of you know that's backwards? If we would discern the will of the Lord and make decisions based on the will of God, we wouldn't have to beg God to bless them. His blessing and his favor would already be on us. Too many times I have people come to my office, sit down, and they're going through just the critical time of wrestling through because of some bad decisions that have been made, and they're begging God to bless it and turn it around, and then I have to help them pick up the pieces. And have to say, okay, look, this is what the word says. This is what I believe godly wisdom would encourage you to do. Now, the the analogy that we're going to have here is in these seven guiding lights. We actually start the first one next Sunday morning. It's scriptural confirmation. What does the Bible say? Okay? Seven things that are right here on your list. And I think that it's important that you realize why we're doing this the way we're doing it. You... See the front of your bulletin there. If you would take it and look at it, look at the very front of it. You have a plane that's in air and it's, up, it's lined up to be able to land on a runway. Uh, you recognize that when you get on a plane, you're trusting that that airline has done some security checks. They've, they've done some, some mechanics checking and you, you're, you're confident. You want to believe that pi- paying the outrageous prices that you do to fly on United to fly the friendly skies, you're trusting that everything's going to be operating, that when it comes time to land the plane and the pilot touches the button to put the landing gear down, that it's going to land. And God forbid, you know, that there's a storm or a lightning strikes the wing of the plane and an engine is gone. Then you're, you're praying and you're trusting, oh God, please let this pilot have enough experience to be able to safely land this plane. I need your favor, oh God, in my life. As I make this decision, I want to land this plane to have your blessing in my life. Now, the pilot lands that plane by literally lining up in between a set of lights, guiding lights on the runway. And so these seven things that I'm going to bring you, I do not believe necessarily are exhaustive. There may be another way or two, not too many in the scripture, because I believe this just about from my 25 years of ministry, what I've learned in the scripture here are these seven principles that he gives us to be able to learn how to discern what the will of the Lord is. And I believe the more important your decision is, the more of these lights you need to have lined up. If, if you're thinking about popping the question and getting on your knee and cracking open a little box with a diamond on a ring and handing it to a young lady, then you need to have several of these lights lined up. Because that's, that's the second most important decision you will ever make in your whole life. And you do not want to be another divorce statistic. 
I don't care if your grandparents had four or five marriages or your parents had that many. You want, nobody enters into it with uh, considering the big D word as an escape hatch. Everybody comes to the altar and, and stands in the presence of God and the multitude of family and friends and witnesses and pledge themselves that they will honor them and cherish them until death does them part until about four or five years later when all hell breaks loose. Don't shout me down this morning. <laughs> Marriages work. It's hard. It's learning to give myself and my desires and lay down my selfishness and love somebody else more than I love myself. And that other person does that. It's not 50-50. I've had a couple sit down with me just a two or three years ago and said, well, we're both going to be 50-50. I said, well, you'll end in 50-50 divorce then. It's got to be 100-100. She's got to be in 100% and he's got to be in 100%. And you got to realize that there are going to be times when he's distracted and under pressure and maybe, maybe health challenges have come 25 years down the road and maybe she's able to give about 50% and you got to kick in, buddy, and give 150%. That's because you love somebody more than you love yourself. Critical decisions, entering into relationships, and entering into covenant. Uh, you know... This, you, you want to be able to land this plane, line up these lights. Let's go through them real quickly. Number one, scriptural confirmation. Take this down. Write it down beside the, the words there. Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. The Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What does the Bible say? How many of you, if you had a rich uncle that was a multimillionaire and he died and you were given a copy of the will by an attorney... Uh, would you just fold up the copy of the will and put it in the vault and never read what it said had been given to you? Stupid. Greek word, idiotes. Uh, we do the same thing with the Bible. It sits on the shelf all week long. We come to church and we've starved our spirits all week long and you get a quick 45-minute snack on Sunday morning and you think you're going to have the strength of Samson you're going to have the passion of David. You think you're going to have the wisdom of Solomon, the patience of Job. You're going to have the love of Jesus to be able to make it through all the junk you're going to face for the next seven days. And you're living on a quick snack that I give you on Sunday morning. Let me tell you something. Maturity in the Bible means you grow up and you learn to feed yourself. Baby at the table that's two wants to grab a spoon. You're going to make a mess. But oh my goodness, you see some maturity. It's not just a little lap baby anymore where you're sticking a bottle in. But he's, he, he's hungry. I remember when my wife cooked chicken spaghetti and Drew was seven months old. And I have a picture of him with his mouth down at the edge of his high chair. And he's scooping the spaghetti into his mouth at seven. It's all over the place. He loved it. This child loved pasta. And it was all about just, and he's just raking it in. He's figured out that there's this hinge joint right here on his elbow. And he could bring it to him. And he leaned way down. There's something about spiritual maturity as well. You start getting hungry and you start to actually want to spend time in the Bible. I'm not challenging you to tell you that you've got to read 100 chapters a day. My goodness, just get in. I told you I was going to preach before it was over with. At least just get in and get you a little taste on a daily basis. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And when you're in the middle of some darkness, sometimes you need to open up something that's going to shed a little light on the next step that you're about to take. Come on, somebody. Help me preach in this place this morning. You've got a copy of the will of God sitting right there in your lap. Don't sit around and wonder what you think the will of God for your life is. Open up your Bible and get a little bit of spiritual education. 
All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. I had a guy come into my office. You don't have any idea who I'm talking about, and I'm not going to tell you. This was 20 years ago in the ministry who told me that the Lord told him he was supposed to leave his wife and marry this PYT, this pretty young thing. He was trading in for a younger model. And I looked at him in my office and I said, you're a fool. I said, first of all, I do believe that God can speak to us and give us an impression, but he will never speak anything to you that is in defiance of what he's already written in his word. You are an idiot, sir. And either you repent of this mess or the judgment of God is going to come on your life. And, of course, he didn't want to hear that word and he left, got mad and left the church. Scriptural confirmation. You've got a copy of the will of God. God's not going to speak something that is contrary to what he has already laid down in the written word of the Bible. Man, I'm already preaching next week's message. <laughs> Number two, inner conviction. The objective truth of the Bible grounds us in something that everything else has to be judged against. It is the plumb line. It is, it is the carpenter's square. It's how you lay the foundation of the house of your life is grounded on the solid word of the Bible. Jesus said there are two kinds of people and both of them hear me, but there's a difference. The wise man builds his house upon the rock and the rains came down and the floods came up and the wise man's house stands firm. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. What is sand? But sand is just tiny particles of rock that's been broken up. So you can cherry pick the Bible. You can pick out your favorite verses and you can build your life on a few little bread box promises. But when you ignore all the rest of the whole counsel of God, you're not grounded on something solid. You're building your life on a couple little things that have the whole view of the gospel and the kingdom of God skewed in a, in a certain way. You can take two or three verses of scripture and you can create your own whacked out doctrine and start a whole new church and create a cult around two or three ideas because you're ignoring the rest of God's word. I'm sorry, it's a little too preachy. Let me calm down inner conviction, God will give you a gut feeling. He will give you an inward witness. He will stir something up in you, but it will never be contrary to what he's already written in his scripture in the Bible. Number three, godly counsel. So we move from objective to subjective. It's here in the word to here in my spirit. Well, I guess what? I need another guiding light. I sit down with some people who I trust their walk in God. I get godly counsel. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If you want to do a good job at something, you talk to some people who've already been there. You want a good marriage? Hang around with some people that you respect them and you know they have a good marriage. The worst thing you can do is get your counsel from your peers because they don't have any more experience than you've got. Are you hearing me? Listen to me, 20-something young man. You, you, you know, honor your friends. Have a good time. But if you want to have a great marriage, befriend a couple that's in their 30s and go out to eat and ask them how they work through those problems. Better than that, find somebody in their 40s or somebody in their 50s and befriend some of those folks and learn to listen. Learn from the mistakes of people in the past. History has a way of repeating itself if we don't learn the lessons that history can teach us. Look at your neighbor and say, he's doing pretty good. <laughs> Prophetic confirmation. You know what? I believe that the Lord can speak to people that can have a word. When my wife says, Michael, I've had a dream, I listen. 
because the Lord talks to her. And I don't, 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 don't think, okay, we, we got to go, pastor's crazy. We got to go get a little, you know, got to call the paddy wagon and get a crazy suit because you're hearing the Lord. No, I'm just talking about, it's not, a, not an audible thing, but it's sensing down in the still small voice of your spirit. Okay. And the scripture says that he will speak through dreams and visions. Okay. And you've got to learn to discern the difference because sometimes it's just because you had too many, too many, uh, too many red beans and rice the night before. <laughs> Too much pizza. Next one is the peace of God. You can be in the middle of a storm, everybody else around you, and stuff's tearing up all to pieces, but you can be in the eye of it yourself. Destruction's all around you, but you can have peace. The Bible says, let the peace of God rule your heart. Greek word is umpire. I got a great message when we come to that one that week. Let, let the peace of God call the shots. Is there peace there? Okay. Next one is the provision of God. Look at your neighbor and say, where God guides, God provides. Is the money there? You need to pick up and make a move? Well, is the money there? Now, this is not always the last one. You don't ever do any of these just on necessarily one alone, but you want to line up several of these lights, these guiding lights. And then finally, circumstantial evidence. Is everything just working out? I mean, is it all lining up? Is all the circumstances around it, is it a battle or is it an open situation? And you can't, this is why it's last, because you can't ever let circumstantial evidence be the light alone that you're judging. Because sometimes the enemy will do everything to throw stuff in your path to make it hard on you. And you've already got the peace of God. You've got scriptural confirmation. You've got an inner conviction. But yet you're having to plow through all of this opposition because you know that it's the will of God. And then it finally gives way. But sometimes... Sometimes the Lord just rolls out a red carpet and you just get out of that limo and you just walk right up that thing into that awards ceremony. A promotion's just come. God just brings a new young lady into your life and boom, the light comes on and Jesus says, yes, she's the one. Sometimes it's just, man, it's just open, open the door wide. Here comes the blessing and the favor of God. What are the circumstances? So we want to take these next seven weeks and we want to really dig into these because I want you to MGD, make good decisions. I don't want you to make your plans and then life happens. And then we got to go to God and go, Oh God, will you please bless this business? And he wants to go, well, no, you didn't ask me who you were going to be a partner with because you're a believer and he's a heathen. I mean, it's like the, anytime somebody comes in, the, in my office and they say, pastor, we want you to marry us. And I go, okay, do you know Jesus is your personal savior? Yes, sir. I do. Okay. Young man, I haven't met you before. Do you know Jesus is your personal savior? Well, I don't know. And I look at the young lady and I go, you better give this some time. Because the last thing I want to do is for him to make a commitment under stress, thinking if I'll confess Jesus, he'll go ahead and do the ceremony because my wife wants this preacher. I don't really know what I think about this dude anyway. <laughs> she wants him to marry us. I don't know about this Jesus stuff. Okay, fine. Take your time. Don't enter into this relationship too quickly because 2 Corinthians 6 says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. There's no such thing as evangelistic dating people. Most important decision you ever make for the rest of your life is to be in covenant with somebody and both of you want to be on the same path. You're a regenerated believer. Your receiver is t turned on and tuned in and hers isn't or the other way around. You're asking for trouble. Well, you know what? I'll change him, Pastor. Oh, honey, let me tell you about gazillions of other relationships that have ended on the divorce heap because of little young ladies who thought they could change their young man. 
Y'all don't shout me down this morning. Good people in this church have made bad decisions and entered into covenantal relationships with a partnership. This person, the one being a Christian, and then brought in a partner because they could bring in $100,000 with them to put some capital investment into this entrepreneurial adventure. And then they've spent the rest of another five years praying God to get them delivered from it because once the money's invested, he's headed this way and you're a believer and you're trying to serve God and you're trying to have a person, business of integrity and you're making decisions based on some morality and this person is just doesn't care about any of it. You're unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Some of them have come around and said, you know, pastor, God really brought this thing through and I was able to buy him out and I learned my lesson and now the favor of God's on my business. I believe this stuff, folks. You have to make good decisions and hook up with people. Just get connected to people in relationships, in business, in covenant, friendships, relationships. You don't want to be yoked up with anybody that's headed down the wrong path, going to hell in a handbasket. You know, you can either, either you're going to be stronger than they are or they're going to be stronger and pull you down. Okay? And too many times, the one who thinks they're going to bring light into the darkness ends up getting their candle snuffed out. All right, I, I got to quit. Are you getting anything out of this? Yes. Come back next Sunday. We're going to finish this up right now. Seven hindrances to hearing. Number one, lostness. Just flat lost. Don't know Jesus. Until you're born again, the receiver in your spirit doesn't get turned on. There's no way it can be tuned in because it's, it, it's not even receiving a signal. There's no power to it, no power source. If you're lost, you can't hear the voice of the Lord. I'm convinced this morning that the Spirit of God right now is hovering over this congregation and he's calling his sheep by name. He's, he's already touched somebody. He's already breathed into your life the inspiration of the Almighty. He's turning on some radio sets and tuning them in because he has a destiny for your life. Number two, not being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Pastor Alex just did an amazing job in this five-week series called Rehab where he talked about how Every one of us, we can have all the accoutrements of success. We can have the cars and the wife and the house and the boat and everything else that comes with it in the American dream, and we cannot be happy on the inside. And we start medicating that, that wound, that, that void inside of us with either sex or drugs or alcohol, or we become a workaholic and we chase the almighty dollar. Or, or, or we become shopaholics and we're always buying and acquiring and we just have to go build another storehouse because we don't have enough room to hold all the stuff that we've got and we become almost just uh, wealthy hoarders. And, and people do all kinds of things to try to medicate the pain when you and I all have a void right down in the middle of us that nothing can fill it except for God himself. Be filled with the Spirit. This is not one time. This is not your baptism this is not just confessing Christ. This is every day. I need to be filled with the Spirit because the Scripture says I'm a cracked pot. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, the Bible says. You remember the, remember the, the, the clay pot that Granny used to plant her marigolds in or her you know, dahlias or whatever, or ivy? And she'd have to go buy water because the water would seep out of that pot. Life happens and emotions and stress and all this stuff pulls it out of us. And I've got to i got to start showing some maturity, even if I'm just seven months old in Christ and I've, I've learned how to just rake some of that chicken spaghetti into my mouth. i got to say, Lord, I choose today. I'm not going to tune in to FM 100, but I'm going to 
slapping a CD and I'm on my way to work around the I-40 loop. I'm going to just take a few minutes and I'm going to give you praise. And I just ask your Holy Spirit to fill me with your presence today and help me to make good decisions. And I'm going to hang around some other folks that will encourage me, not just bring me down. I'm going to get up 10 minutes early and I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible. I'm going to get in Proverbs. There are 31 Proverbs. There are 31 days in the month and today's the 15th. I'm going to read the 15th Proverb and I'm going to learn what it means to have a soft answer that will turn away wrath. And I'm going to learn what it means that before pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I'm going to learn what it means to humble myself before God. When I do all that, I just start feeding myself and hungering for God. He has a way to start growing me and maturing me and I get filled with his spirit. And when I'm full of the spirit, I'm not looking for something else to fill that void. I'm not ready to be, I'm ready. I am fully ready for any temptation that's going to come my way, whether it's a pretty young thing that would make me violate my vows to my wife or whether it's a substance that may give me some peace momentarily when I'm stressed out. If I've learned how to fill up with the right stuff, I won't go seeking the wrong stuff. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Number three, are you getting anything out of this this morning? Pride, pride. My own pride is my worst problem. My own pride, I'm just confessing to you. The Bible said God rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I have to humble myself and say, God, I need you. No matter how blessed I am, I have to come back to the place of the very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything of heaven becomes available to me when I can just stand before him and say, apart from you, I I can't do anything. I need you, Jesus. Self-deception. I got this thing figured out. I know that she's the one or I know that that's the next step I'm supposed to take. I'm going to have to make some bad decisions. I may have to do some things crooked because they're actually calling me to, to cover up and cook the books and do some things. But you know, I just know this is the job I'm supposed to have. That person's already deceived. That's going to hinder me from hearing the voice of the Lord. Number five, dishonesty. That doesn't even need any explanation. If I'm, if I'm making decisions that are not based on integrity... Matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I treasure sin in my heart, the Lord won't hear my prayer. The only prayer God will hear you pray when you're covering up something, you're hiding a little sin pattern. The the only thing he's going to hear you pray is when you're willing to turn on and tune in and your first words are, God, I repent, forgive me. And you turn your back on that stuff. Then you just get tuned in to all of the signals of heaven. He'll start talking again. You hearing what I'm saying? Dishonesty. Number six, an unexamined life. Socrates said an unexamined life is not worth living. It means I have to have some accountability, checks and balances around me. I've got some good men in this church. Jack Murphy's one of them. Scott Grafton is another. Alex Blankenship is another. They will look at me and say, listen, we think that wisdom would say this. Pastor, are you okay? We really sense you're under stress. You're just you're a little edgy. Man, pray for me. And they look me in the eye and they, they, they talk to me in a straight way. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that my life is examined. My wife, oh my goodness, will tell me and not worry about hurting my feelings. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. And the worst thing we can do as men is not listen to our wives. Because they have a perspective on this that we don't have. And I'm thankful for that. The unexamined life, number seven, and I'm finished not knowing the will of God. You know what? By the end of this series, I believe that I will have shown you some ways that you can dig into the word. You can learn to listen to the voice of the spirit of God in you. 
You can balance the objective truth of the word with the subjective interpretation in your heart. You can get some godly counsel from brothers and sisters around you. You can hear uh, peace of God and learn how to function in that. You can look for provision where God guides, God provides. And we can actually line up all these lights and we can land this plane and we can see the favor of God on the decisions that we make. That's why we're doing this series. It is intensely practical. Invite somebody. Next Sunday, we'll spend our whole 30 minutes on just scriptural confirmation. What does the Bible say? I want to encourage you to, to, de to dedicate some time this week. If you've never been a person that's disciplined in the word, just start with a chapter a day. Do the Proverbs a day method. Just read through it. Take a few minutes and just... Stop and pray 15 seconds and say, God, I'm new at this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I just ask you to just, out of these next few verses I'm going to read tomorrow in chapter 16, it's the 16th day of April, I'm going to read Proverbs 16. I believe you're going to give me something there that'll be a hot coal off of your altar and you'll drop it into my heart. And sometime today, I'll need the wisdom that's going to come out of that verse that jumps off that page at me. And I think you're going to teach me how to listen to your voice and learn that you are a father who who indescribably loves me. I believe that's the God that we serve. Do you, do you, can you say amen? amen? Put your hands together and give him praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Bow your hearts with me for a word of prayer this morning. Gracious God, thank you for this time together in your amazing word. Thank you for the internal guidance system that you've put in us as believers. I ask you today that if there is anyone under the sound of my voice that has never crossed the line of faith, Lord, that has never heard the voice of the Lord, that has, that has never had the deadness breathed into in their lives, has never been born again, never had their radio receiver turned on and tuned in, God, I thank you that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you speak and you call them by name. Jesus, do what no man can do. Holy Spirit, he's drawing someone right now. And I believe you've heard the gospel. the gospel. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you and give you the opportunity to put your trust into him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say it this way. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Some of you have been on a wrong path this morning and God is speaking to you right now. He's just turned on the global positioning system in your spirit and he says, recalculating, recalculating, turn around, repent. The direction you're going is headed the wrong way. And this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, just want to say to you right now, there's nothing magical about any words. There's nothing about a raising your hand. All that I'm going to ask you to do, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call anybody to the front. But I'm going to ask you in a moment, if you'd just like to have me pray for you, and you as an act of faith, you're just going to slip up your hand and say, yes, I'm taking a step. I want God to turn on my receiver and tune me in. And there's one right now who's already raised their hand. A couple of others around the room. Yes, I see those. Yes, another. Two or three more already just went up. Father, you see the hands. You're moving by the power of the Holy Spirit in hearts today. Thank you, Lord, that from your power source in heaven, you're sending a signal now to a cell tower that has just been activated. 
Lord, thank you that as they respond to that regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that they say, Jesus, save me. They make the choice right now and say, Jesus, save me. Change my life. Change my heart. Recalculate my path. Lord, I turn to you. I turn from my past and I turn around. Be Lord of my life. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your whole life is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. There's at least 10 hands this morning that went up right now. Father, I pray for these people. Holy Spirit of God, do what no man can do. Touch them, change them, give them assurance of salvation as they confess their sins and say, Jesus, forgive me, change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Talking to believers now. You've been walking with the Lord maybe for a month, maybe somebody for 50 years or longer. And you've heard this and you're at a place in your own journey right now where more than ever before you need God to clearly give you an understanding of his will so you can make a decision that you know he will bless. For somebody it's a marriage. For somebody it's a business. For somebody else in the room it's something that you're struggling with and you know that it's going to take God to change it. I don't know what it is. Don't have to know. It's none of my business. You and God know. Just want to ask you right now, anybody that would say, I want God to turn on again and tune me up, make sure I'm receiving a clear signal in my internal guidance system. I want to do all that he's called me to do and be everything he's called me to be. If you would just slip your hand up, I want to pray for you right now around the room. Father, I thank you for these saints. Thank you for these that are called to be believers. Lord, have known you, have walked with you, know what the forgiveness of Jesus is. God, there's a struggle. There's a decision. They're in a place right now of needing to have clarity. God, shine your light. Send out your light in truth and let them lead us, Lord, as the psalmist said. Lord, in the middle of the darkness, the darkness of confusion, speak peace to the storm, Lord. Bring guidance for the sake of your name. Lead them and guide them this morning. Some of them are going to lay down tonight, Lord, and they're going to wake up tomorrow and they're going to have remember a dream they haven't dreamed in a long time. Teach them, Lord, how to understand that. Some of them are going to open the word and they're going to see something they've never seen before. Teach them how to apply that. Holy Spirit, you're amazing. Lead us so that we can be the sons of God you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Everybody said.